0: Why would a wealthy Dutch lawyer go out and buy Saab, a Swedish car company that was on the verge of going out of business? That's what we're going to find out today. Victor Mueller is a businessman who decided to start his own super expensive, exotic sports car company, even diving into the design of those cars himself, even though he has no experience in design. And yet he has been able to make Spiker cars successful, so he obviously knows how to run a business. What's the secret of his success? We'll be asking him about that. And joining me on my journalist panel to do just that are David Welch from Bloomberg Business Week and Todd Lassa from Motor Trend Magazine. And we'll all be learning about the secret to Mr. Mueller's success right after
1: this. Are you wasting time surfing the web looking for that special gift? Why not shop where the auto industry does? Turn to the AutoLine website, click on the store, and you'll find a treasure trove of John McElroy-endorsed products. Remember to go to AutoLineDetroit.tv for that inspired gift
0: choice. Production of AutoLine, provided by... Welcome to the studio in AutoLine Detroit, where we have Victor Mueller as our special guest today, the the CEO of Spiker Cars, and I guess we could call you the new owner of Saab as well. You could do that, because it would be true. (laughs) Thanks for coming here and being with us today. Also joining us is David Welch from Bloomberg Business Week, Business Week Magazine, and Todd Lassa from Motor Trend Magazine, uh, great having both of you here too, but Victor, What makes you think that you can turn Saab around? I mean, historically, this is a company that sold 120,000 cars a year. That's half of one assembly plant's worth of production. Even if you get back to that level, what makes you think that you can really get Saab back on its feet? Well, um, of course, it's the prime question. And um,
2: we have done a very thorough uh, business plan for Saab. And uh, the business plan clearly shows that at 120,000 cars, we can be very profitable. Actually, the, uh, the break even point, which is now slightly north of 100,000 cars, will have to be brought down to 85,000 cars. I'll come back to that later. And at 125,000 cars, we'll do very well. Uh, the reason for that is that this plant, which is laid out for 190,000 cars uh, in, under GM stewardship, was basically prepared for 190,000 cars. But we're not going to build 190,000 cars anytime soon. So we will right-size everything uh, to the proportions and the, the, the quantities that we need. And um, uh, there's one wonderful thing about this crisis, uh, which I've called many occasions the perfect storm, right? What happened here is something that we'll probably never see in our lifetime again. Surely we've never seen anything like it. But in this perfect storm, where a company like GM, the number one car manufacturer in the world, went through a receivership, uh, had to divest of certain brands, including Saab, basically had to sell it, and there were no takers. All the OEMs basically were minding their own business big time. They were laying off people, reducing their capacity, cutting costs. So there were no, no takers for SA. And, and we just happened to be there at the right time, at the right place, uh, to be able to buy it for, you know, I would say, relatively modest price. And, uh, and, and we looked into the company very, very seriously to see how it could work. And one of the things that is a result of this crisis is the fact that where prior to the crisis, people were be very, very strict in keeping their own proprietary technology to their close to their chest. But the only question that boardrooms across the car industry now have to answer is how are we gonna break our, bring our break-even point down? And the easiest and quickest way of doing so is sharing technology. And so there are many companies that want to share technology with Saab, serious companies, And so there couldn't have been a better time to come to buy it. And actually, in a sense, we have already seen one of those uh, transactions happening where we sold just prior to the end of last year for $200 million, the uh, technology of the old 9395 to uh, Beijing Automotive. And that's a clear cut case of sharing technology and where it brings in money for Saab. Uh, On the other hand, there are a lot of manufacturers that want to share their technology with Saab. So... Access to technology is not really such a concern, particularly not because we have very long-term transitional agreements with GM for technology if we want to. Uh, But now that we're an independent company, we ourselves can decide with whom we work. And where in the past, you know, Saab was very small fish in a very large pond, uh, had to take certain suppliers, had to take certain engines, which were not necessarily the best ones for Saab. Now Saab as an independent company can make its own decisions for its own future, best interest. And it means that we can go wherever we want to go. So all in all, I think we're right sized for the production capacity that we want to, uh, that we're striving for. We're not projecting silly numbers. We are only looking at going back to the levels that we had as recent as 2008, 2007, 120, 100,000 cars next year. Uh, And with three new models around the corner, Uh, we will see that by the end of 2012, the oldest car in the showroom is the 9.5 we're just launching, right? Saab hasn't seen anything like that in its history through three new cars in a matter of two and a half years. Uh, And that that new product lineup, which is good margin business for Saab, um, a very strong distribution network which managed to withstand the uh, adversities of the past year and a half pretty well, um, and a right-sized infrastructure, I think we should be able to pull it off.
3: So, but how are you going to get this break-even point from, it was, you know, uh, 190,000. 120,000. But I mean, the plant was 190,000. Production capacity,
2: theoretical per. I know,
3: that's capacity, but now you've got to get the break-even point down to 85. How do you go that far? What what do you take out in that plant, and in terms of the the company's structural cost, and what what all is going to happen to get there? Well,
2: it's actually done. Uh, most of it is, has been done because the company has go, of, course, of course has gone through a tremendous reorganization. If you come to think of it, what Saab has gone through, it's a slight miracle that it's still alive, right? First of all, there was a strategic review, then it was put up for sale, then it went through a, a massive reorganization, let's say a chapter 11 type of situation. Then it was sold, then the sale fell through, then it was sold, then it fell through again, and then finally uh, it went, was put into liquidation, voluntary liquidation, and then finally our deal Succeeded. And we bought Saab, and it went out of liquidation, and now it's safe and sound. But nor, in a normal circumstances, no company would survive that, right? But, but Saab did.
1: Victor, uh, what did you see specifically in Saab that you decided would be worth saving, worth uh, putting a bid in for? Was it all the future product uh, that GM was showing you at the time? It was definitely part of the equation. I think, in general, there are very
2: few opportunities in one's lifetime to buy a truly iconic brand. And I think... Sop is an iconic brand. It's, it's a brand that I've known since I was a kid, a very small kid. I happened to live in a big apartment building in Amsterdam, south of Amsterdam, where the importer of sop would be in the building. You know? in, the, in those days, importers would be downtown, right? And, uh, and so when I looked out of my bedroom window, I was looking down on the Sop 93s and 96s coming down for, for, for the, for, from the importer. And I just couldn't imagine that a beautiful brand like Sop would just disappear for no reason. No obvious reason. I felt it was very worthwhile saving, and the business plan and the new model range uh, justified that decision. And I think, you know, we've got the company 9.5 ready in production right now. 9.4X coming out next April, ready. You need to do nothing about it, it's done. And the 9.3, the new 9.3, which is due in 2012, is basically the conceptual engineering is done. And I'm very fortunate, in a way, to be able to still influence the A surfaces. The outer design is still, uh, let's say, a little bit fluid. Not, top, not totally, but a little bit. So we can take the design, which I think uh, is, is so typical for Saab. You know, you have to have a little bit more bold design. We can take it one notch up, and we will. And I
0: think the new 9.3 will blow people away. So, I, I love hearing you talk about how you can touch the surfaces, because I understand that you got involved in the design of the spiker cars, I designed right? them all. Now, how does a lawyer get involved, with no training whatsoever, get involved in car design, and and why would you still do that with Saab? Well, first of all, I'm not a car designer. It would be very presumptuous
2: to claim I'm a car designer. I'm not. I'm just a guy that designs his own cars, which is a very different animal. Uh, But it did bring me some knowledge about car design. I think design is a very emotional, very subjective thing. Um, I I just love to design cars because they are a, a thing of beauty. And if you understand your customer, and I was the ultimate customer of my own Spiker business, so I knew what the customer wanted, and I wasn't wrong. Uh, As to Saab, it's not very hard to figure out what the Saab buyer wants. The Saab buyer has, over time, very many of them have left the brand, not because they didn't love the brand, because Saab has the most loyal following of all car brands, second to none. But Saab, over time, lost some of its brand DNA. And... There's been a lot of bad things said about GM under uh, the stewardship of GM over Saab, but I have to be a little bit more nuanced about that. GM did see that Saab was losing its brand DNA and allowed Saab in 2005 to build the Aero X, the beautiful concept car which was shown for the first time at uh, Geneva in 2006. Uh, an anti design, this incredible spaceship with the completely moving canopy. That car marked the beginning of a new design DNA for Saab. And that car was the basis for the new Saab 9.5, now in production, and the Saab 9.4X. So GM very well understood that Saab needed to get its brand identity back, and it's back right now. If that wouldn't have taken place, it would have taken probably another billion to bring that back, uh, and you wouldn't have had the time to do it. It is here. It's now. The new Saabs are what I call true Saab Saabs. They're not, let's say, what most people would refer to as glorified opals. These are true Saabs with Saab DNA. Now this design um, of the new 9.3 uh, will certainly heavily influence that because I think that we very clearly see where we have to take the design one notch up to become so typically Saabish, Swedish clean design that the the customers that have left the brand for good reasons will flock back to it. The customers didn't leave because they didn't like Saab. They felt either the brand had lost some of its DNA The company wasn't making the cars they wanted to. You have to bear in mind that uh, the 93X, the four-wheel drive 93 is only hitting these shores right now. Uh, Whilst in the past decade, Audi has just swept that market completely, but Saab didn't have an answer. Saab didn't have a crossover car at all. Now we will have one next year. 11 months from now, the first crossover 94Xs are gonna be in the market under the Saab brand. So I think that we are better positioned than ever before to recoup those clients. Saab doesn't need any new clients. The only thing that Saab needs is get its old customers back. And, and if we focus on that, we'll be fine. There are one and a half million Saab buyers, SOP owners around. You know, if 8% of them will buy a new Saab, we're absolutely home free. And then there are four and a half mil, million people that used to have a Saab. Well, if 3% of those buy a Saab, we're absolutely in great shape. So if we can actually give the Saab buyer, the potential Saab buyer, the car that he wants with the proper sub-DNA, with the qualities that he uh, may expect of a premium brand like that, I think it should be doable. We're not projecting 250 or 400,000 cars. We'll be fine. Breakeven, cash break even, as from 100,000 cars, profitable as from 125,000 cars. But that you, should be you doable. See,
3: you need to get the even down to 85,000? That's what our intention is. And um, what will you do to get there?
2: Well, you have to make as many costs variable as you can. And, uh, Is labor.
3: I mean, you've got labor, you know, well, we, labor we, contracts that you have to deal with.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, we are actually hiring. We're hiring, not firing people. Uh, we have, have 3,500 people now. We'll be 3,700 after summer and pl- probably closer to 4,000 by the end of the year because we're ramping up production big time. We, we, with current uh, uh, demand, we can't do it with one shift.
1: What about uh, design and engineering staff? Does it basically carry over from... The, the old Saab, or uh, do you have new people coming in? Well, we are getting great new people in
2: on various levels. Uh, definitely in design, we'll get people in because I may then be the guy that loves to design his own cars, but that doesn't mean that I can be the car designer for Saab because I've got other things to do. Um, so we'll bring great new people in there. The design staff is first class. Uh, we have 900 engineers. Uh, we'll see greater flexibility in that, too. We'll also work for third parties.
3: So did you keep the people who designed these cars that are coming out from GM, or did they Well, go?
2: the point is that, the, for instance, the 9.5 wasn't designed in Trollhattan. It was designed at GM back in Rüsselsheim. Anthony Lowe was based there, and his team did that. Of course, the design team at Saab was very instrumental in the executional phase, but the concept design came from, from Rüsselsheim. That, of course, has all changed now. Everything is going back. All the production is going back to Trollhattan. Uh, all these the functions are going back to Trollhattan, And we're hiring people, too, because in the, in, the, in the past, Saab was relying tremendously on the financial services rendered by uh, GM. You know, it doesn't have an, a, an exchange uh, desk. It doesn't have treasury. All these things were centralized in Zurich for GM Europe. And those things, those functions, are now all brought back to the factory. So this, this is a good thing. We are becoming a completely standalone, independent company and, uh, and that's exactly what it needs. This carve-out, as it's called, carve-out of, of GM has now been basically accomplished. And uh, the company is now a truly independent car manufacturer. And I think it, it would be, again, very presumptuous to say that Spiker is going to run Saab. Definitely that's not the case. I mean, how can a 50-car-per-year per car manufacturer run a 100,000-year? It, it's definitely not going to happen. So Saab is gonna run Saab. Janaki Johnson, the CEO, is gonna run Saab with his team. He's done an incredible job keeping his management team together in spite of the the massive adverse circumstances that he had to face. Uh, And and what Spiker brings to the table is clearly entrepreneurship. And that's what Saab needs right now. Uh, Coming from a very large conglomerate, being a very small fish in a very large pond, uh, to uh, 99.5% of the Spiker business. It's, it's clear. I mean, Spiker, the car company, is 0.5% of the uh, totality. So entrepreneurship is one thing we bring to that uh, table. And I would say knowledge about the premium market segment. We do know a bit about that.
1: And, and the 9.3, the current 9.3 is on the GM Epsilon 1 platform. Uh, the uh, the new 9.5 is on the Epsilon 2 platform. How do, how do you describe the, the next 9.3's platform? Is that Epsilon That's going to be, or? no, no. The next
2: 9.3 will be... Uh, our own IP, our own Intellectual Property Rights. Um, and we will definitely use uh, components of the Epsilon-1, but we wanted to use a Saab platform. So uh, you will see that the new 9.3 is lower, wider, longer wheelbase, so it's gonna be a complete new car, uh, very few carryovers from the current 9.3, a true Saab Saab, and we want that. We, the Delta platform, which was an alternative uh, uh, for Saab at the time, I think 26 cars were going to be derived off that platform, right? I don't think you can create sufficient per- proper identity if you have to share that type of platform with everybody else. So it's been a very deliberate choice by Saab to
0: go for its own platform. And I think it was the right choice to make. But doing an all-new car, usually in the auto industry, costs about a billion dollars these days. To do a clean sheet one, not just a refresh, right. where are you going to get the money to do well, that kind of product development? Of course, uh, I, I understand the
2: question. But the business plan, uh, uh, foresees a fully, which is fully funded, foresees that we can, from our own cash flow, get the uh, development cost of the 93 completely paid for. Uh, it, it is, of course, a serious amount of money. It's not a billion dollars, but it's, it's a sizable amount. And, uh, and with the technology that we have, have in-house, uh, the engineering capabilities we have in-house, and this platform which we have, which is heavily modified, uh, we, can, we can do that. You have to bear in mind, General Motors spend so much money on the infrastructure in Trollhattan. I mean, if you go there, you will see a state-of-the-art facility. We have everything ourselves. It's a completely self-contained unit. It has its own wind tunnels, its own crash test laboratories, its own engineering facilities, which are state of the art. The assembly plant is second to none. Paint facilities, best in class. Press shop. You haven't seen us. What did you pay for all that? Yeah, well, I'm almost embarrassed to say we paid 74 million dollars for that. (laughs) <laughs> which is No which, wonder you can break even at such a low level. Uh, well, low I'm glad point. you agree with me. Uh, that's what, what I'm trying that's to explain to my shareholders. No. There
1: was a lot of money on the hood uh, back in those days at GM wow. a few months no, ago. I, I, I tell you, it is, it is truly mind-blowing. That's staggering.
3: It is staggering. You know, we, just, sort of? Well, I'll tell you what's mind-blowing is that GM wanted to sell this in a liquidation sale. I mean, you guys really had to work to convince them to sell this thing and not just liquidate it. And then it was only $74 million? Yeah. I mean, they, they held out just for that? I mean, that's like a rounding error, GM, even even. True, what, true. What was going on during these talks? Because they kept saying, uh, I don't think
2: we have enough time for that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding.
2: It, it is, we probably um, don't, but... No, no, but I mean, it's a, it's a long story. It's been uh, an incredible ride. This whole thing has been an incredible ride. Because
3: they were telling, I mean, they were basically, they were telling us that, you know, we, we need the perfect offer, we need the right people involved, the right amount of money, and you know, the engineering capabilities so that this doesn't land back in our lap, uh, you know, and, and we don't think these guys can pull it off. So. Right. Well, they were wrong. We did pull it off.
2: Right. But and I mean, and uh, <laughs> so, no, I think it was an equation that they had to make because you have to bear in mind, Beijing Automotive did pay $200, $200 million for this previous generation To technology. you or to GM? To GM. Well, okay. actually, to Saab. Okay. So Saab but, had it in its... where the money on dot. Uh, well, the money is still at Saab. Okay, uh, but because when we bought the company, there was two hundred million dollars in the bank. So for the seventy-four million dollars we paid for it, there was two hundred million dollars in the bank.
3: Uh, so we should s- have gotten in on this deal. I mean, how <laughs> so did you? you paid <laughs> seventy-four million dollars for three future models, a plant, a staff, and two hundred million dollars, and a little bit more than that. And a limit, 1.1 billion in assets. So they, ta- they that basically need you to take mm. it off their hands. Uh,
2: not really, not really, of course. But they, they give you 200 billion in cash. Yeah, sure, but in the first year, you'll lose a lot of money. Uh, the first year where there were seven weeks of product stoppage, uh, it's, 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 right. a, it's a okay. bit oversimplification to say yeah. that they gave us money to do it. But I agree with you that it was a, a steal. A bargain. Uh, a bargain. Yeah. But on the other hand, it is only a bargain when you actually make the company profitable, which we anticipate doing by 2012. And so that is exactly what we are currently setting out to do. Uh, we have this 100-day plan that we're, we're 70 days into it. Now it's hard to imagine it's only 70 days that we bought the company. Um, and so we're 70% into that. We have already achieved basically all of the objectives that we wanted to achieve in the 100-day plan. And then we move on, you know, uh, to the next 100 days and the next 100 days. It, it is, I mean, people in the factory are working 24-7, 24-7 to pull it off, to... Basically, I mean, the biggest challenge, of course, is to reinstate the, the, the brand reputation because it's been tarnished by the fact that the company was dead and alive and dead and alive and then in liquidation. You have to be really closely following the news in order to understand that SAP is still around and alive and kicking. And wonderfully enough, the new 9.5 is the opportunity that we have to show the world that's, that's terrific. Ter- I mean, couldn't be better timing, right? We start with the introduction to the press. At the end of this month in Trollhattan, we built a beautiful new reception area in the factory so people will be able to see the cars coming off the production line where we're introducing the 9.5 to them. And, uh, and so it's a matter of weeks, and then everybody will know that Saab is in good shape and around and here to stay.
0: One other challenge. Every automaker in the world is working on electric cars or hybrid cars or advanced diesel, maybe even fuel cells. How do you possibly get into that at your volume? Well,
2: again, this is a, an era in which everybody is willing to share everything with everybody. And, uh, you know, five years ago, it wouldn't have been possible. If I told you five years ago that Mercedes-Benz would make a deal with the Renault, you would have laughed in my I face, have, right? You're right. You would have said, yeah, you <laughs> lost the plot. What have, what have you been smoking, do yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that is definitely now a reality. Um, we are developing electric cars. We are developing electric propulsion in-house. Um, Saab has very, very good engineering capabilities for that. But also we're working together with other parties. We have a, a joint venture with, uh, for instance, Boston Power uh, for electric uh, propulsion. So this is fully under development. By the end of the year, we'll see the first uh, electric subs as a test fleet coming to, uh, to the market. Well, not to the market because we're using it as a test fleet. But uh, we're, we're working on that very, very intensely. So And actually, Sweden is one of the very few countries in the world where the electric car would really work because about 50% of their electricity is from... Uh, power plants driven by water and the other 50% is nuclear power so if you plug a car into the uh, into the electrical grid you get clean energy and that is very different from uh, for instance America where uh, if you plug it in a brown coal plant uh, some uh, few hundred thousand miles away uh, will still generate a lot of CO2 Uh, so it will work and uh, so we're working very hard on those alternative uh, energy cars.
1: You've also said that you'd like to do a premium subcompact, a, a modern 92, and in fact, you gave me a little peek at a design. Footprint. I did that, but you also admitted that at this point you don't have the money, the funds for that sort of car. That was a w- few
2: weeks ago when we spoke, right? Uh,
1: yes, was. New York Sounds part like of, you have the money now. No, well, I, well I, that
2: would be uh, that would be a little bit uh, going at one step too far, but uh, uh, it is on the top of our priority list.
1: Okay, has anything progressed regarding? Oh yeah, uh, definitely,
2: yeah. well, both funds and platform. Uh, But it's too early to say, uh, and and I'm definitely not at liberty to make any projections about it at this this time. But you can rest assured that it is number one priority, other than of course taking the company to profitability, which is of course clearly the overriding priority we have. But I think clearly where SAP is coming from, that a teardrop-shaped SAP 92, as I've been calling it, very deliberately, because 992. Uh, is not the type of car I want to be reminded of, the 92X, the Sabru. I don't think that's a car you want to be uh, even closely remembered of. But the Saab 92, as I call it, is the missing link in the product portfolio of Saab. This is where the company's origins are. This is where the roots are. This is the car I was driving in the Millimeter last week. You know, this very compact, beautifully teardrop-shaped, aerodynamically way ahead of its time, very small engine, extremely economical
0: car. And that's where Saab should be again. And that's a perfect place to end this show. We're out of time, but Victor Mueller, thanks so much for coming on AutoLine Detroit. Very interesting discussion. David and Todd, thank you as well. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. If Victor Mueller can save Saab, he'll definitely go down in the history books as one of the heroes in the automotive industry. Join me again next week when my guest will be Tom Stahlkamp, one of the most experienced and respected executives to ever come out of this business. He rose to the top of both Chrysler and Daimler Chrysler and now serves with the private equity firm Ripplewood Investments. And I'll bet he's got some terrific insights of what's going on in this industry right now. But that brings us to the end of this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll be back right here next week.